This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. So much of what we're seeing in the gun issue is theology. And Dr. Kavita Patel. Don't have one in your house, no matter what. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into another cycle of elections and what our leaders are saying or doing about these issues. Today, we wanted to tackle a topic that, in full disclosure to our listeners, has really been something that Norm and I have wanted to talk about, unfortunately, all too many an occasion to talk about, and that's just the most recent spate of gun violence that has gotten media attention. I just want to say that there are so many incidences of what would be considered mass shooting events that get no media attention, but unfortunate sequence of events that occurred around Lunar New Year and hitting hard, especially in the Asian American and Latin American communities in California, that the country, the world is still reeling from. When talking about this episode, and I'll give Norm a chance to weigh in, when talking about preparing for this episode, all of us, including our producer, kind of thought, well, what can we say? If we just say, like, you know, government needs to dot, 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 we're not going to get anywhere. And Yet, we felt like we still needed to bring this because it's what we're all talking about. So, Norm, first for me is the Monterey Park shooting, just because I used to live in Los Angeles. You probably, I've been to the Monterey Park. I've been to like the Asian communities inside of Monterey Park because one, they're some of the most welcoming communities. And two, they really do have the best food in all of Southern California. And so I've had my share of hot pots and have actually seen that community center. I remember where it is. So, I'll give my immediate reactions, but I'd love to get your thoughts and maybe kind of giving our listeners a sense of why we still think this is important to talk about. So, you know, we had this uh, really over the span of barely more than a week. We had the six-year-old shooting her teacher. Then we have Monterey Park, and then we have Half Moon Bay. And one of the things we know is that it's almost like suicide attempts among young people. You get one and almost inevitably, you're going to get more. It triggers something in people. But, you know, what, what strikes me the most now, Kavita, is where in the past you'd have one of these mass shootings and it would bring a national revulsion, a sense of horror. And now you get that for a, a few seconds and then we move on because it's become so commonplace. And Of course, we know that in the past when we had the most horrific ones, Sandy Hook and more recently Uvalde, things that ought to bring not just a public revulsion, but some movement towards a change in policy, something, people want to do something, that's just not even on the books anymore. And it leads, I think, to a a couple of conclusions. Obviously, one of them is that The uh, pro-gun forces, the NRA and others, learned very well over a period of time that if they could just quell the initial response, people would lose attention and turn to something else and you wouldn't have any momentum to do much of anything. But the other is just the deadening of outrage over these sorts of things. And uh, it, I think, has to get us to rethink where we're going with all of this. We're not going to get the kinds of changes we want in the short run, at least, even though they would be patches on a huge system, background checks, even as we've just seen courts saying they're going to restore the ability to have bump stocks so you can get even more bullets that can kill people. 
we're not going to get action in legislation. We're going to have to rethink this issue and try and look elsewhere. I completely agree. I'll say that uh, I think we've all been saying, at least in the kind of public health community, that gun violence is a public health issue. And that's been, again, another one of these refrains. It's not like that's a new message. But in light of the pandemic, it's been interesting to kind of contrast, compare and contrast the approach to truly like our own other pandemic that is gun violence and certainly what we should be doing as a parallel. Here's what I'll just kind of offer that in a matter of three years, because we had to, we stood up an incredible surveillance research epidemiological effort for a virus that never existed before. Yet here we have very little, very little research. And there's a reason for it. It's the Dickey Amendment is one piece of it that gets used, unfortunately, as a bit of an excuse. But it does create, especially because, and I'll say what the Dickey Amendment is, that has set the tone, I think, for shying away from research that would specifically call out gun-related research outright. The Dickey Amendment, briefly, for those of you who don't know it, 1990s appropriations bill that stipulated uh, an amendment that said none of the funds available for injury prevention and control at the CDC, which is the place you would think with gun violence research would happen, may be used to advocate or promote gun control. Those Then in, in consequential years, they actually had that ex- extension, exclusion extended to the National Institutes of Health, another place you would think this kind of research exists. So it doesn't actually ban gun-related research outright, but it puts this kind of, you know, all over anybody who tries to do anything that has had federal dollars attached to it. But I will argue now, if you step back and look from what you and I often talk about, which is politics and words and what's happening in DC and some of these issues, just like gun violence, the parallel thing that's happening that a lot of our listeners might be also tuned into are chat GPT, the dominance of new techniques and artificial intelligence, and the ability to now do things such as writing complex computer programs literally within milliseconds because of this technology. So the two of these worlds have to meet. There is no universe in my mind where we can't actually have the kind of research that is literally just coming from all the streams of information that can contribute to the very thing the Dickey Amendment had worked in the 90s to prevent. That's what I'd like to offer listeners to start. You don't even need to get federal legislation for this. This is really about taking charge back of epidemiology, surveillance, and research and doing it in a way that we didn't think was possible even three years ago. And I, and I just, anyway, so just, just want to like take it and, and it shouldn't be partisan because information should not be partisan. I know it will be, but it's one of the things that has frustrated me when people often say, let's not talk about gun violence because what else can we say? I think there's a lot more we can say, and we're just not even scratching the surface. When you and I go to a doctor, when I take care of patients, I, I thought about this all day yesterday. I never ask about guns in the home. I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to. I just don't. Why is that? Because it's not part of like the norm. I ask everybody now about COVID vaccines, about when they had their last you know, mammogram. I ask about all these things because somebody has told me I need to, and I'm incentivized to do it. Let's put those same incentives into the healthcare system so that every single person crossing the doors, we have a sense of what they're doing. And then let's pool that data, just like we pool data on how many women, how many persons actually get mammograms that need to over the age of 40. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to stop because you can see I can go on and on. That's my take on things we should be doing that I don't hear enough talk about. What, what's yours? I agree with all of that. And, and there's more. 
we know that, you know, these incidents like Half Moon Bay and Monterey Park get the attention of journalists for a while. You have cable news going out to these places, interviewing people who were there or family members who lost loved ones. What we also know is the vast majority of incidents involving gun violence are domestic ones that don't get much attention. That this is uh, two partners living together, get into an argument and a gun comes out. Or as we've seen in so many of these incidents as well, it's a spurned lover, a, a divorced partner, all of those things. And that's where research would help as well. There's another part of this that we know too, which is there are a lot of suicide attempts. And in many instances, there are people who do something impulsively. And if they do not die in the attempt, say afterwards, I didn't really mean it, or I'm not going to do that again. If it's a gun involved, the likelihood that an impulsive attempt will end badly in the sense that somebody doesn't die and may recover just doesn't happen. And we need more research on these things as well. And you're right, it shouldn't be partisan. But the fact is that the pro-gun people know that if the research is done, it's not going to go well for them. And that's why they banned it in the first place. And it's another part of the degradation, I think, of society, the desire not to get to the bottom of things because they interfere with your theology. And so much of what we're seeing in the gun issue is theology. The other thing I'd say here is what we're seeing now with this Supreme Court especially, and it's interesting because the Heller decision, which I believe was wrongly decided based on a complete distortion of the historical record of the Second Amendment that basically read out of it the phrase involving a well-regulated militia. But at that point, uh, Justice Scalia, who was the progenitor of it, said that doesn't mean you can't control guns at all. In fact, if they're destructive weapons, if they're weapons of war, yes, the Constitution allows you to control those things. That's been completely lost now. And we're seeing more and more states move to extremes beyond what we ever imagined no requirement for registration, guns available to minors, any kind of weapon, open carry, concealed carry, almost anywhere, except, of course, they don't allow them in their own legislative bodies or uh, around the governor's mansion. But that's going to lead to more and more tragedies. And one question is whether even in those places, at some point, these states go too far, open carry, anywhere. Nobody has to register or offer any qualifications to get a gun, including minors. Whether at some point, even in these states like Texas and Florida that are doing these things, there is a public backlash. And it's finally, maybe we've gone too far with this. But of course, in the meantime, there'll be mayhem. Yeah. And I think what I worry about is that the reason I'm kind of promoting like a let's get the health systems and insurers and others to try to do things that they can do and wouldn't be anywhere near kind of, well, everything gets noticed when it comes to any issue that's a hot topic these days. But 
honestly, there's really little there's real little controversy because every major medical society has actually recommended screening for guns in the household for all the reasons that make sense, including, by the way, you reminded me, Norm, that we also do a terrible job in consistently asking about domestic violence. And it's because these are things that make people uncomfortable. I know that that's really hard when you're kind of in a emergency room, you know, there are people listening potentially. I understand that, but we are the ones that we can actually consistently learn and apply pressure to ourselves to do better at it. The reason I like it is because anything that you see happening, as you mentioned, at the state level, like Florida banning, outright banning any research um, at a state-funded institution, et cetera, that becomes then fodder for extension into the educational curriculum, right? It, it all, it's, it's critical race theory. It's now they're telling our kids what to do. And I, I have a friend, my friends from Texas kind of reminded me, I, I constantly say like, We've had carry laws in, I mean, look at New Hampshire. I mean, there's, there's states where we have had laws on the books, but the contrast is that in Texas, people, my own friends included, like to bring their guns out front. They like to kind of show with pride because they feel like it's something that differentiates them from other states, more liberal states where, you know, concealed carry and all these other and all these other ways of kind of quote, constraining your second amendment, according to my friends. But I don't see a lot of people running around New Hampshire kind of, you know, with their guns on their shoulders and trying to, you know, bringing them into the pizza hut, which is actually a true kind of almost daily occurrence in Texas. And so I think separating out from the Second Amendment and turning this into, look, we're not going to pass judgment. You want to carry a gun. That's your right. That's whatever your decision is. We want to understand where is this happening? What neighborhoods is this happening? And what kind of viral network? I would imagine, Norm, I'm just making a wild guess, no matter what the age, whatever the race and ethnicity, that if we actually started to look at the social networks, not just of these incidences that get media attention, but to your point, which is very astute, the, I don't even know, numbers of episodes of either suicide or even homicide attempts, and then trying to think about this, think about building out from just a epidemiology standpoint, a, a network of much like smokers, what we learned in the last 20 years is that smokers don't smoke alone. So they make friends with smokers. They are naturally friends with smokers. And that helped us in trying to identify interventions and ways to help people quit smoking much in the same way. We don't have any of that research. If you and I tried to look in the books and it's not just the Dickey amendment, I think we just have, we we don't see it as much of a health issue as we do a hot button political issue. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. And it is a health issue. I mean, the other part of this is we see on a regular basis tragedies involving small children who get access to guns, shoot their siblings, shoot their friends, shoot themselves, because the culture now has almost taken away this notion that you should be super careful with your guns. You know, the parents of that six year old said, well, the gun had a trigger lock on it and it was in the highest cabinet. I have a hard time believing that a six-year-old would climb up to the cabinet and know how to eliminate a trigger lock. And one of the things we need to do, and this certainly ought not to be partisan in any way, but like everything else it appears to be, is parents who are not careful with guns and tragedy ensues should be punished to the full extent of the law. The message has to get out there. 
uh, you're going to have guns in the household, you're going to have to handle it in a different way. I do see in a lot of evidence more and more of families now where if their kids are going for a play date, they ask the parents of the uh, home that their kid is going to whether they have any guns. Uh, I think there's a uh, at least some growing sensitivity to that. How much that happens in Texas uh, or Florida or Arizona, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I do think whether it's worth just mentioning or not, even doing this in like a Kaiser Health system, which not, is not just in California, there's Kaiser locations across the country. It's actually what the CDC uses for COVID surveillance, which a lot of people are like, really? We use private or you know non-government health systems? Well, yeah, because I mean, outside of the VA, there's really very few like single source records of medical care, et cetera. Kaiser's one of them. The VA is another. And doing this, the VA, as you can imagine, because of the Dickey Amendment, would be very kind of resistant to doing this. But there's nothing that could stop an institution. And, and Kaiser is trying to, I've seen in coming for this episode, I was thinking, this must ex- this must happen. There are researchers within Kaiser and they're doing things kind of in their pieces. But imagine if after Monterey Park, instead of the like tweets of like thoughts and prayers and all that, if, if what what if we could actually flood social media with everything we know about what works and what doesn't to help make sure that your community is safe from gun violence? Like, what, why couldn't that be what the response is? And I struggle to actually think of what that is. I mean, Norm, if I had to say, to, you know, if you and I sat and thought, all right, let's take one of our communities in Maryland, PG County, for example, what would we do? How could I give like parents some tips? Only thing I can give them right now is don't have one in your house, no matter what, to your point. And that's it. And then be careful about where your children are, because you might want to ask these questions before you drop them off. But this is, you know, again, 2023 with all this technology, this can't be the only thing we have. Do you have any, um, have you heard, I've been listening to Hakeem Jeffries and and some of the, uh, I don't want to say rising Democrats because Hakeem is like a risen Democrat, if you will. But I've been listening for them to talk about anything related, not just to gun violence, but right now I'm still hearing, I feel like a lot of defensiveness against the insanity that's coming out of the right. Are you hearing any new ideas, whether it's in the aftermath of these shootings or even just to to kind of inject like, here are some positive things we're going to try to do to get our country kind of feeling optimistic again. I, it's related to the gun violence because I think, Norm, I think that listening to just the GDP like growing a little bit isn't giving people at the you know individual level comfort. They're still dealing with rising cost of eggs because of an avian flu, cost of you know trying to buy a home. Are you hearing anything that isn't as defensive as what I'm hearing, or, or are we too early to tell yet? It may be too early to tell, but I'm not hearing much of anything. And it's understandable in a sense. We have, well, it is in this sense. The House Republicans are going to be doing all of these, uh, you know, loosely call them investigations. The right has appropriated the term and Trump the term witch hunt, but that's (laughs) pretty much what we're going to be seeing and trying to pass very destructive legislation. If you're in the minority, the instinct is to fall back on trying to block really bad things from happening or to counter misinformation and disinformation. But the White House should be a place where you get more of the uh, proactive means of trying to reframe the agenda. Now, 
you know, that'll be a little difficult because so much of what they're going to be doing is flooding the zone with subpoenas for executive officials going after Hunter Biden and the like. But your point is really well taken, that there has to be something that tries to bring people together in a positive way. And, And you're right as well that just talking about the great stuff, when people are not feeling good, that's not going to do the trick. Uh, there has to be something more. It's not easy to figure out what that is or how you do it. But, you know, I think this has to be in part a celebration of what democracy brings combined with the warning of what happens when you lose it. And it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. So maybe we can end this conversation with something positive. So I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. I'll start so I can model model this a little bit. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of something that has been like something that, especially for someone like you or myself, that kind of made you stop and say, "That's pretty, you know, that's really good." And I'm I I was a little bit surprised by that. Uh, I will say that I was pleasantly surprised. I I saw all the amazing committee appointments, including Marjorie Taylor Greene and the amazing Ronnie Jackson on the COVID whatever they're calling it, you know. COVID gotcha committee, as best as I could tell it. And it was interesting is here, you know, here we are committee appointment after committee appointment and having kind of Democrats who are incredibly qualified be denied. There was an interview with, you know, I think Nancy Pelosi is like in this, like, listen, no holds barred. I'm just like so happy. I'm going to say what I want. And so Nancy Pelosi made what I thought was just a very helpful kind of comment embedded within an interview she did with Maureen Dowd, which I think now covered in the New York Times, but probably what people didn't pick up on. And I think you and I understand, we want our listeners to understand a little bit about the sausage making. She, you know, I think Maureen asked a question, paraphrasing something to the effect of, you know, what do you have to say? You left Hakeem Jeffries, you know, with a lot of support, Democrats are unified around him, which is not an easy feat. But, you know, what do you say about kind of having him be the speaker during what might be the most turbulent time, the most turbulent Congress? And she was just very Nancy Pelosi, kind of very calmly, but immediately she basically said, like, she said, this is exactly what the Democrats are born to do. She said, if we can't help people understand in their chaos and their infighting and their, you know, near violent blows within the House chamber, we can't help people understand that we're the party that is the party that welcomes all, that tries to reserve judgment, that tries to listen. She said, if we can't do that, then I have failed, Hakeem has failed, and future generations have failed. And and I thought that that was one, it was an interesting answer from someone who could have given me a political one, but she basically said, like, the job is on us. And, and I thought that was a great way. She basically wanted to have Democrats stay united. It's in her, it's in everyone's best interest. But I hope that that extends into what might be an interesting primary season, especially if Biden announces, as we expect, we could see other Democrats coming forward and that's totally reasonable, but if we don't get united. So I'll, I'll say that to me, it was a little bit of a, you know what, that's, that's a, that's a good, that's a positive moment. Not one I necessarily would have expected in the context of a Pelosi kind of quote exit interview. Anything that surprised you or made you smile this week? A couple of things that made me smile. I mean, one is I think we're beginning to see the impact of the cap on insulin prices. And I think it it could have a transformative effect out there. We have so many people with diabetes 
and access to insulin has been a huge issue. It's a not just a financial issue, it really is a public health issue as well. And of course, it, if people don't get access to an inexpensive medication, the health costs more generally go up. And I, th- I think this is extremely positive. The other is what seems to be, and I'm in your wheelhouse now, that this new bivalent booster seems to provide some protection against some of the more pernicious strains of, uh, of uh, the coronavirus. And we may be on track to coming up with an all-purpose vaccine, looking ahead to some of the other types of, of uh, virus strains that may emerge. That it's, you know, it's a triumph of uh, research and uh, public health, if that's the case. So those are things that gave me at least a little sense of relief, a little uh, more positive this week. No, that's a good one. I should, you know, look, I'll always talk about COVID. I'll briefly say the the FDA advisory committee in a unanimous vote yesterday wanted to do basically what is being called a harmonization, meaning at some point, not today, because people have assumed that that vote meant that everything switches and that there's now only one type of vaccine available. Not the case. They just made an advisory kind of statement and vote to the actual FDA, which then has to take action, which then has to have the CDC take action. Long story short, this is an incredible movement. And Norm, it signals what I think is truly um, acknowledging worldwide that we're entering into an endemic phase. There are a lot of people, myself included, that in some days don't feel like that, but the agency making, uh, the advisory committee making a recommendation that we do away with the kind of quote, older vaccines that we still all have to carry the primary series, because that needs to happen in order for you to get the updated booster. That's going to go away. There will only be one source really of a type of vaccine, no matter whether you've had five shots or zero shots before. And I think that's a real signal. They eventually want to recommend to move this to an annual shot, which is what's looking like the most support, but we don't have that decision yet. So yeah, it is a big deal. And it, it is something that is a positive and somewhat surprising. Um, so yes, that's a great note to end on. I want to thank my co-host, amazing Norm Ornstein, and to- hopefully give people a little bit of thought and some oomph if, uh, after a, a hard a hard week plus, I think there's some hopeful rays of sunshine and some advocates, uh, both on the hill and off the hill, trying to actually make things better. So in closing, just make sure that our listeners know that we're incredibly thankful and would love your help in just making sure people know about this podcast and tell us what you think. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and make sure that we hear you because words matter is something that we're trying to constantly improve. It's a production of the DSR Network. Our executive producer for the network is Chris Cottonoir, and our producer is the wonderful Grant Haver. Next episode of Words Matter will be in your podcast feed somewhere around February 2nd or 3rd. And I should note, I am going to be gone for a couple of weeks being a soccer mom to my son in Spain. I will come back with an incredible amount of insight into what the Spaniards think of the United States and how our trade agreements have been working out. Uh, And luckily I speak Spanish, but not Catalan. So I will see how that goes and have a lot to report. So I I am confident that you will be in good hands, but hope to, to talk and see you all soon. 